You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 88. I'm Kimberly Manafra, and this week our guest is Robin Beck, an engineer here at Ames who develops, designs, and tests heat shield materials. Robin talks about the different types of thermal protection systems that are needed for a variety of space missions, like the Mars InSight lander mission that launches in early May. Now let's listen to our conversation with Robin Beck. about yourself how what's your background and how did you actually end up at NASA um let's see well <laughs> I'm hometown so All right. born in San Jose I went away to school to Santa Clara oh wow quite <laughs> Santa far Clara University yeah <laughs> seven miles and then I went all the way 11 more miles to Stanford for grad school okay. so I've always been in this area right. um I've always worked Probably within a square mile of here. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's and all of my all of my years um, at several different companies, but always very close to this area. Mm-hmm. I started in defense, so I worked for a small defense company for a very long time, mm-hmm. and that's where I learned about heat shields and really? and ablative materials. What were they doing? Were they working on that too, or? Well, I, I kind of talk about um, it's kind of as a joke as bombs and bullets, but oh, yeah. um, it, it was for entry vehicles that had to go really, really fast and mm-hmm. be protected. And so we did nose tip materials okay. that had to ablate and heat shield materials, okay. um, very high heating, very high pressure environments. And so mm-hmm. we learned a lot about mm-hmm. the kinds of materials that would protect those kinds of vehicles. Mm-hmm way beyond often what um, NASA uses. Right. How did you get, get to, to NASA. that, though? Well, you know what's interesting? How did I get to that? Yeah. Um, Were you studying that in school? Because it well, sounds like Well, heat transfer, okay. fluid dynamics, combustion, um, all of that feeds into ablative materials, okay. it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a little bit of it in what happens when you blow gases into a boundary layer, so transpiration, right. cooling. And that's really part of what ablative materials do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that was, you know, understanding those equations that was from school. Most of the actual understanding of the materials themselves mm-hmm. and how to model them and how they behave mm-hmm. was on the on the job training wow. from the uh, perennial expert mm-hmm. at the time who was um, Bernie Laub. Mm-hmm. Who eventually came to uh, NASA Ames? Wow. Okay. Um, and so, so school got me really the the technical like the background mm-hmm. and the right set of tools mm-hmm. to understand the absolutely mm-hmm. the fundamentals to understand what the equations of state were, what was going on, mm-hmm. and then understanding how the individual materials responded mm-hmm. was. Um, from working with experts. Wow. So ablative, what is that exactly? An ablator is a material that basically changes state okay. during and, and in doing so protects, thermally protects the aeroshell that's mm-hmm. underneath carrying whatever it's carrying. For us here at NASA, mm-hmm. it's often carrying, it could be carrying people, it could right. be carrying um, science experiments, it could be carrying a rover mm-hmm. that's carrying science experiments, right. right, to Mars. And so it's a material that will protect, it's a thermally, you know, insulating material. Mm-hmm. However, 
it needs to go beyond just insulate. Right. Our insulating materials, like the materials we use for shuttle, mm-hmm. can't handle the kinds of heating rates that some of these other vehicles see. Right, right. And so an ablator is is pretty cool in that it has a reinforcement. Mm-hmm. So it can be anything from glass or, or woven carbon or all kinds of things like, like that. Like an extra layer of right. protection well, it's, then? It's the, it's the structural part. Oh, okay. And that's infused usually with some sort of resin, mm-hmm. whether it's a phenolic or a silicone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what fills the spaces between that actually helps it be more insulating. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of an ablator is at lower heating rates, or even at high heating Mm -hmm. rates, but starting at lower heating rates, the energy gets in and the resin starts to decompose. Burn away then? Well, it'll it'll turn from a solid Mm. to a gas. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And so... And some of them are particularly amazing in mm-hmm. that while that's happening, mm-hmm. they absorb a lot of energy. Right. So the act of turning from the solid to the gas absorbs energy, which keeps it from going oh, wow. into right, the, the material actual. deeper. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's actually absorbing energy at, at the location in depth where it's decomposing. Mm-hmm. Then those gases that form, since they are in depth away from mm-hmm. the surface, are actually formed at a cooler temperature temperature than the actual outside surface. So they flow through what's now a char layer Mm -hmm. and actually are transpiration, you know, cooling that char. So they're Mm -hmm. actually cooling the char slightly. Then they blow into the boundary layer, which thickens it, which Mm -hmm. lowers the heating. So you get all of these benefits from that gas being formed, which Uh takes energy, the the flowing, the gas is flowing through the hot char, which Mm -hmm. takes away energy. And then those gases flowing into the boundary layer, Mm -hmm. which also lowers the incident energy Mm -hmm. to the surface. So there's all this benefit of the actually act of charring, Mm -hmm. depending on the material. Phenolic uses up a a lot of energy to decompose. Silicone, not so much. Right. Different materials (laughs) have different properties that allow it to react to the environment. Exactly. And the way that they they work are different. But the process is similar in that even if it's silicone, which Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to absorb much energy at all while Mm -hmm. it it turns to gas, the gas still is cooling the char layer and blowing into the boundary layer. Which is what you want it to do. Absolutely. You keep the actual cargo or whatever the... Well, it keeps... Right. It keeps the energy. It absorbs that energy that's being conducted in um, and keeps it from conducting further. Now, you'll still have some of it going in, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is used up in all of those processes. Okay. So this basically is how you were working before you got to NASA then. So you had all that knowledge then. Exactly. Wow. And what was happening was we were coming to the end of shuttle Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. And and returning to an Orion type vehicle, right? right which is the which capsule was back now. to back to ablative materials. Oh, NASA okay. had really moved away from ablators, mm-hmm. other than for science missions to planets. Mm-hmm. They still were using them the there, foam stuff and right. Okay. But for for any of the work for human rated mm-hmm. missions. They were only looking at low Earth reentry, so they didn't need anything beyond just the pure insulators, the tile or coated tiles. 
um, those kinds of things. And so since NASA was returning after about 40 years to needing mm-hmm. to understand ablative materials, mm-hmm. my expertise worked out to be Absolutely. you know a benefit yeah. to be coming here. Mm-hmm. So I started at NASA in 2006. Okay. So um, I haven't been here that long mm-hmm. compared to a lot of a other lot people. A lot of people here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, did, I started in 2006 mm-hmm. just as the Mars Science Laboratory right. was running into difficulty mm-hmm. with anomalous behavior mm-hmm. in ArcJet testing of their heat shield material, okay. the material that all that had flown to Mars mm-hmm. on every other science mission. Right. You know, NASA had assumed... Or and planned to mm-hmm. use that same material for, the for MSL, which was right. bigger and had much higher heating than mm-hmm. anything had flown before. It, not not so much much higher heating, but high shear, right. turbulent flow. Because it's come the just so people understand, Mars Science Lab, or now that we know it's the rover on it, Curiosity. Curiosity when it right. was coming in landing on Mars, it's a higher velocity. So that's the shear you're talking about? Or? Well it was it's two things. The velocity was fairly similar, similar to previous to rover the previous missions. Mis- missions. However, it was a much larger air shell. Oh, that's right. It was so bigger... the flow when it first hits the it hits the stagnation mm-hmm. point, so it hits where it starts, mm-hmm. and then it flows over the shape ah. of the the body, right? Well, this was coming in at an angle of attack, mm-hmm. so it had a very long running length on the lee side, mm-hmm. so it would it just kept going and going. Well, laminar flow, after right. a while, turns, turns turbulent, and so mm-hmm. it really was the first time that for missions to Mars, we mm-hmm. had to really consider turbulent flow, the onset of turbulent flow, and now materials in high shear. Mm -hmm. And so the material that had been used is a great charring ablator. Mm -hmm, It really isn't designed for very, very, very high heating. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of glass content and you end up with a melty flowy (laughs) type heat shield. And if you get beyond certain environments, and once you have something that can melt Mm -hmm. and you have a high shear environment, you you truly have melt flow mm. and um, which can damage the craft right well you know it, the thing that bothers me about a melty flowy <laughs> heat shield is that as that glass melt flows around the shoulder now everything gets cold oh, so okay. my question is what happens does it resolidify right. and that's right where it has to separate mm-hmm. where the heat shield has to pop off mm. and so you it know would it inhibit mechanism. that right mm. but we had beyond that we had some very anomalous behavior and mm-hmm. so i just happened to be here uh-huh. <laughs> and we i was pulled in on the team and then we started actually a an extremely rigorous redesign and repurposing of, you know, changing the material that was going to be used. And we were the tall pole in the tent Mm -hmm. for a very long time. The highest risk was the heat shield, obviously. And so we did a lot of tests and a lot of analysis Mm. and a lot of design. And we actually redesigned, built, machined, built, and had the heat shield ready in wow. 18 months. Wow. 
And oh so we, <laughs> our heat shield was ready to launch when we were supposed to in 2009. That's insane. And so, it's but, hard to, um, yeah. So think of, you could build all that first and now, you know, and analyze everything and then redesign absolutely. everything, get all the sign offs on everything right. in that short amount of time. Right. It was the first tiled ablative heat wow. shield. Wow. And so there were a lot of risks with, you right. know, after shuttle with uh, gap fillers mm-hmm. and, and what do we use. Um, mm-hmm. The good news is we weren't flying humans. We were flying yeah, a machine. So you you a know, little we were bit flying, of flexibility yeah, there. Cargo and flying a rover. Mm-hmm. We had the flexibility of a little more risk. Absolutely. But we also had a very ro- robust material that we were going to fly. That's exciting so, to yeah, hear. It was. Like you could accomplish this major task. It it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was very Stressful. harrowing. <laughs> yeah, the good news was much. it was successful. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it was it was very harrowing and mm-hmm. scary. Right. You know that would we would we make it? And mm-hmm. then the fact that as we were ready to deliver the mm-hmm. heat shield. A lot of the other systems, mm-hmm. I think, that were hiding, <laughs> hiding be... a little bit behind the big, uh-huh. you know, elephant in the room, the Absolutely. heat, the TPS. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out that there was a lot of the other systems that weren't ready to fly, mm-hmm. and so there was the launch delay of two years. So, wow. Yeah. Now, how did you guys test this new heat shield for the we mission? tested in? Because you um, mentioned there was testing, but right, what is that really? Right. Well, there's there's always going to be thermostructural so we want to make mm-hmm. sure that as the air shell itself if it flexes mm-hmm. does the material break right right so we had those kinds of testing we tested at temperature um, at elevated temperatures mm-hmm. not very high temperatures but elevated for those kinds of issues mm-hmm. we also tested at very very high temperatures so aerothermal um, environments in our arc heaters. Okay. So and at AEDC where we could get some very high shear as well in their arc heater facilities. So and what is that facility called again? Arnold Engineering. It's a non-NASA facility, right. but it, a partner. It is an Air Force. Yes, it's at okay. it's at Arnold Air Force Base. Okay. In uh, Tullahoma, Tennessee. Oh wow, way out there. Yeah. <laughs> and so they have a an arcader facility they have three different arcaders there mm-hmm. and then we have ours theirs is more designed for um, defense side, mm-hmm. so higher pressures, mm-hmm. and then we have the the space entry type things mm-hmm. with the lower pressures and high, very high enthalpies. Mm-hmm. So the combination of the two, we were able to piecewise mm-hmm. test the high heat flexes, the high shear, the right pressure ranges, mm-hmm. and expose the TPS to a lot of different environments. Mm-hmm. Because we had very high heating, but we also had areas of very low heating. Mm-hmm. And it turns out with our gap filler, those were the more stressing for right, right. the differential in the recession. Where the heating was low, the the gap filler would stick up. Oh, really? It would swell, and the TPS around it would be ablating. And so we had to look at the flow yeah, over the, to... these fences, mm-hmm. right, where things were sticking up. So in terms of like the actual facilities, especially the one here at NASA Ames, mm-hmm. what you said, an arc jet, what is that? What is that like? Can you explain what happens in there briefly or at a um, high level? Is right. it like a air wind tunnel or how does that work? Sort of. Okay. Air is heated through a long tube uh-huh. where an electric arc, it truly is wow. um, a very, very high amperage, voltage, mm-hmm. high voltage, mm-hmm. electric arc shooting down through like this column bolt? of air. Well, <laughs> you know, like that sounds like it. I I like to describe it that way. So it's oh, a really? lightning in a tube, right? That's right. heating up the air. 
the ArcJet people don't like <laughs> it to be referred to that way. Right. It's very controlled. Okay. Um, it's spun up, so it's the electrical energy mm-hmm. is coming from an anode to a cathode, mm-hmm. and and it is spinning so that it and it doesn't touch the walls. Okay. And the air flows through, and it heats it to an extremely high wow. temperature, like what you'd see in other atmospheres, like our own, or does it mimic different planetary? <sighs> no, because atmospheres? at that point it's not going fast, okay. right? So as you heat it and you send it now through a nozzle, mm-hmm. that accelerates it, and we get very high velocity, uh, high temperature uh, air. Now. People ask me, well, we're not flying into air at Mars, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) we're flying into mostly CO2. We have found that, um, especially for the carbonaceous materials, Mm -hmm. if we know how much oxygen is available, we can go from testing in air and and calculate what's going to happen in CO2. Mm -hmm. There are a few facilities that can do limited testing in CO2. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, we can verify it. That's pretty cool. We can also, with some of our facilities, we can vary the amount of oxygen, even mm-hmm. though we're just using oxygen, oxygen and nitrogen, mm-hmm. we can vary that amount of oxygen and see that, yep, available oxygen mm-hmm. will react with the carbon right. and make the surface recede chemically. I and mean, mm-hmm. we can chemically, thermochemically predict how mm-hmm. that surface is going to recede. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. Lot, lots of really cool facilities that no, not a lot of people realize NASA has. Oh, definitely. That's definitely. And, and they're even, you know, they're mm-hmm. used to look at a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. The aerodynamics of MSL, mm-hmm. of that capsule, was studied in the ballistic range. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the base, in our wind tunnels, mm-hmm. the parachute was tested, the mm-hmm. MSL parachute was tested in the NFAC, the right. big wind tunnel. Looking at radiation, the shock layer mm-hmm. radiation, and what happens in the wake was studied in our, our east tunnel, which is a shock tube tunnel, and they mm-hmm. tested in CO2. Wow. And okay. um, so there are a, a, a lot, lot of, of cool things oh, we're doing with Mars. A lot, a lot of testing went on mm-hmm. to, for MSL. Mm-hmm. And that information has fed into the current missions. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Some of that information from the shock tunnel and from instrumentation mm-hmm. on MSL fed into some of the analysis that was done on InSight, right. which is our okay. next um, lander that's going to Mars. So Mars which, InSight. Yes, okay. it will launch in May okay. this year. And then it's also feeding into how we're designing or mm-hmm. evaluating the design for Mars 2020, which is the next rover okay. from the United States, the next rover going to Mars. When you are talking about materials, you have a, a what a plethora of different varieties to work from, and based on where you're going, or how does can you well, use the same type of material for basically all spacecraft that are coming into an atmosphere? Or how does that work? Well, it, for Mars, right mm-hmm. up until MSL, mm-hmm. the same the same TPS was used okay. basically because it met the requirements. You really need to understand your environment. Right. Just first of all, what gases are going to be there, obviously, okay. but how fast are you going right. in? How so? From that, you do the computational fluid dynamics. How mm-hmm. hot are the gases going to be? Mm-hmm. How high is the heating going to be? Mm-hmm. How long are you going to be, be at yeah. at heating so that you understand the heat load? Mm-hmm. You know, there are materials, the glassy materials that can't go above a certain heat load. Mm-hmm. So that's your first hint, right? Okay. Oh, well, it's above anything about a hundred or so watts per square centimeter. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to go stay away from a glassy material mm-hmm. and go to a carbonaceous material. Depending on the heat load and the heating rates, 
the density. So right. we, there's a, there are a whole lot of different flavors of combinations of carbonaceous reinforcement mm-hmm. and phenolic, for example. Mm-hmm. So and what's anything phenolic? From, you mentioned it a couple times. What is that? Phenolic mean? is a resin. Oh, it's, okay. it's a type of resin. Mm-hmm. And so conventional, again, reentry, mm-hmm. going fast and hot, right. <laughs> heat shields are made out of full density carbon phenolic. Okay. So they're made out of carbon cloth that's woven oh. and laid up and laminated, basically, and, okay. and it's impregnated with phenolic. Our heat shield for MSL was made out of pica, which was phenolic impregnated carbon ablator, but that carbon ablator, the carbon reinforcement, was a very low density Mm. structure. Mm -hmm. And so that was one sixth or so of the Mm -hmm. density of full density carbon phenolic. So it was lightweight then, but very protecting. Right. (laughs) Right. And and now if you needed to go faster, hotter, Mm -hmm. that might not have been the best solution, right? Mm -hmm. A pressure Right. It's a low density brittle material, so mm-hmm. it's going to be limited on what kind of pressures it right. can take. We've been developing, you know, 3D woven mm-hmm. basically carbon and phenolic mixtures that are mm-hmm. mid density, lower density, higher mm-hmm. density, you know. So there there are a lot of different variations mm-hmm. on a theme mm-hmm. that can be used to design a, a TPS mm-hmm. when you're dealing with missions that mm-hmm. can't take the risk right. you're typically not designing a new material you're going to you're going to go works. with something that's mm-hmm. flown you're going to mm-hmm. go with something you have heritage mm-hmm. on right mm-hmm. so that you don't you don't have that added risk right. that um, some missions can absorb and mm-hmm. others can't. Right. Well, that's good that you have like at least some samples that work. Absolutely. <laughs> and right. And a lot that of you know, the technology, the, the Pika mm-hmm. and a similar material with a silicone, mm-hmm. where they impregnate shuttle tile with silicone. Oh, okay. That's called Circa. That those two materials were invented here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, at mm-hmm. Ames quite a few years ago. Uh-huh. And so the fact that you know, we develop them, we develop the models to mm-hmm. predict how they respond. Mm-hmm. We understand how to design with them. We can use them, especially now that mm-hmm. they've flown, right? right and right. they've flown both ways. Um, a single piece of mm-hmm. Pika was flown on Stardust. What's and Stardust? Stardust <laughs> was a, cool. a probe that returned... Uh, Stardust? It did. It did. I think it was a comet dust. Oh, okay. Well, uh, But I'm not positive. It, yes, sense. it brought back stuff mm-hmm. from um, from space. Mm-hmm. So there, um, that, that And that came in hot was, and fast. It wow. was a very small little probe, less okay. than a meter in diameter. Uh-huh. But it came in hot and fast. Wow. And so, you know, we knew how the material responded mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. but we'd never flown it tiled. Well, now... For MSL, we've flown mm-hmm. it tiled, so we've got nice. a, a wealth of you know, and that was much lower heating right. than Stardust. So we've got a wealth of data mm-hmm. on those that type of material and how to, and we know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Now, in so. terms of MSL, would that same thermal protection material be suitable for, say, Orion or another spacecraft going to Mars with humans, or you can't? Can you scale that up oh. just? Because you know it works, or does it mean the payload's going to change coming in? For hot? well, you know, it's for an Orion-sized vehicle going to Mars, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, um, but it has to come back, right? So coming back is much hotter oh. and faster. We were looking at that, and probably we, we learned a lot. Well, from the beginning of the Orion designs, mm-hmm. you know, early days to where we are now. Mm-hmm. 
in that probably yes, Pika could work. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't flown it right, on a right. manned vehicle, right? And so it takes it it takes a lot to qualify a material for now, a manned vehicle. So that means you're going to have to adjust even that type of material because you haven't you haven't gone both ways with it. MSL went one way, so you were good to go. Right. Well, and it was lower heating and lower. But heating. That's the thing. The the entry for. Um, going into Mars mm-hmm. was much, much lower heating than mm-hmm. it would be coming, coming back. back. Yeah, right. that makes sense. It's going to come back much faster, much hotter. And, and it's a coming into trajectory a too, much right? higher, higher density mm. gas, right? right? It's coming into Earth's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So the heating is much, much higher. But Pika could take it. Okay. You Go know, Pika. That, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it could take it. But there, okay. are, you still have gap fillers and, you know, all the things that are troublesome in mm-hmm. designing. And it would be, you know, it would require a lot of testing and a lot more development. Yeah, because you think about, you know, different shoes for different types of weather or different activities. The same applies for these materials, for different Correct. spacecraft missions, different environments. What the fate, you know, obviously the weight of the spacecraft, it all plays into adapting and, and making sure you have the right materials. Correct. And you're working on InSight, which is coming up here. W- what other type missions are you preparing for or that you can talk about? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm working on InSight. We're mm-hmm. re- I mean, it's the it's done, spacecraft. Basically, right? The spacecraft <laughs> is being shipped to Vandenberg okay. now, I believe. Wow. Um, I'm working on Mars 2020. Mm-hmm. And that is a nearly build-to-print from MSL. It's a new rover and new insides, new Uh new stuff going in, Um, more instrumentation, Mm. but the aeroshell and TPS Mm -hmm. will be the same as what was built for MSL. But... It's going in in, you know, in 2020, right. we had to do all of the, the trajectory analysis, the heating, the mm-hmm. thermal analysis, and, and TPS sizing mm-hmm. to ensure that as built is enough material, right. right? So each mission is different. So while it's possible, you can use the exact same spacecraft and mm-hmm. spacecraft design, you still have to prove it. Right, right? You right. still have to do the analysis and do the sizing to uh, make sure that your design is viable right. for that mission. Wow, yeah, that takes a lot of research first before you can even think about putting the materials together, right? Right, right. Do you see a lot of similarities between the materials that you used to work on for you know your previous position before coming to NASA and now, or is it completely different because of the missions we do? Or? No, it's, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, the physics behind ablation mm-hmm is the same regardless of the materials and the fact that we're doing so much with carbon and phenolic whether it was full density 2d carbon phenolic Mm -hmm. that i started with now using low density versions of Mm -hmm. that you know for nasa Mm -hmm. and in fact nasa used some of those materials for their venus missions they use the rate the full density carbon phenolics for venus missions it's still the same physics Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so it's a really good fit to go mm-hmm. from the one environments to the other. Mm-hmm. So I had the right understanding mm-hmm. of the materials. And then it turns out that some of the materials that we were developing in that defense company mm-hmm. for low-density materials and RF transparency actually flew <laughs> on MSL. We used it on what? MSL, and we'll That's fly awesome. again on Mars 2020. Mars 2020. Cool. So... Now, thinking about the materials themselves so we can visualize this in our mind, are you talking about rigid, hard, bulky material that you 
attached to the bottom of or on the belly of a spacecraft? Or are you talking about softer, squishier material? What is kind of the the texture are we talking about? You said something about woven something. Right. So what, what are we talking the about? Even woven, mm-hmm. once once it's impregnated, it mm-hmm. starts out as being moldable, right? Because okay. it's it's a dry woven cloth. It's oh, it's thick. cloth. It's three. Well. Sort of. It's a it's a structure. It's okay. a dry woven structure because it's three dimensional. Uh-huh. But and we've done stuff even with uh, with felt with carbon mm-hmm. felts, so you can mold cool. the felt. It's dry when it's dry. Mm-hmm. But phenolic, which is what we've tended mm-hmm. for those materials to impregnate with, phenolic's rigid. Okay. So once we impregnate, we have a rigid um, material. Okay. Okay. Um, the Material for Orion is rigid. Right. Even again, even the three D woven material that mm-hmm. we're developing here, we mold the dry cloth. Mm-hmm. We or the dry structure. We mold it, and then we impregnate such that we get much better properties. Mm-hmm. Rather than starting with something thick and flat and right. cutting out from it, mm-hmm. um, if we can, can get mold it, mold it we can have the mm-hmm. the good properties everywhere that's cool you know normal to the surface rather than only in certain areas right that's pretty cool because i can imagine you're cooking a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's like putting all these layers on top of each other how long does it take to even make a piece of material like this is there an average between all of them or some are you You know know, created or developed faster than others it sounds like you can do it in 18 months (laughs) well we weren't inventing the material oh okay remember we already had pika i mean that was already invented right right. and we understood that it was you know how what we were going to be working with billets Mm -hmm. of the material and we were cutting curved curved parts out of rectilinear mm-hmm. billets. So we understood the variation in the fiber direction and the right. properties. To start from scratch, it <laughs> takes a, a lot of years. The really? 3D woven work now has been probably, oh, I'm, I'm going to give mm-hmm. the wrong answer. So yeah. it, a few years? More, well, more than three years. Oh, wow. Um, okay. In developing the weave mm-hmm. and the de- designing the weave and then mm-hmm. the impregnation and figuring out the best how much to put in, how mm-hmm. much impregnant to put in, so how mm-hmm. much phenolic, you know, depending on what properties you want and right. what kind of heating. The the 3D woven that we're using, that we're developing right now, is for high energy entry. Okay. So it's for, you know, very high energy, high high temperature environments. Mm-hmm. So it tends to have a, a higher density mm-hmm. than Pika. It can take mm-hmm. higher pressures. It can do... Um, a lot more than than Pika can, mm-hmm. and so it's for again different, uh, different missions mm-hmm. than deep where space you, missions, right? Right, right. <laughs> it, it, missions that Pika can't do, right? Really. Hmm. So, in terms of your challenges, what do you see are some major challenges to protecting spacecraft from extreme trauma of entering <laughs> like a high extreme, you know, atmosphere temperature? Well, you know, I think our biggest problem is that. Most of our spacecraft, we're, we're getting better. Mm-hmm. There are more and more requirements for instrumentation. Okay. Because unless you have a failure where you want the forensics to figure out why you failed, right? right. Oh, oh, look at that thermocouple was really hot. Typically, the missions themselves, mm-hmm. as long as you designed it right, they don't, they don't care how hot it got as long as their payload got right. where it was supposed Safe. to go, right? <laughs> and so we margin... Mm-hmm. 
we add, right? We okay. Here's our predicted heating. Mm-hmm. We multiply that. Yeah, you gotta then have we, some padding, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Then we do our sizing and we margin that up, mm-hmm. and we could margin ourselves out of being able to fly right. um, as we get to you know hotter, hotter environments, higher, higher energy environments. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have the data, mm-hmm. we could end up being too heavy, right. you know? Well, we can fly one pound mm-hmm. of science because we've got 99 pounds of TPS and structure mm-hmm. because we're not really sure, you know, mm-hmm. how hot it's gonna go and we don't wanna overheat, you know? So we, we have all these big margins. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the more data we get, MSL had the heat shield, mm-hmm. the forward heat shield instrumented. This time, Mars 2020 will have similar instrumentation mm-hmm. spread out a little bit differently on the heat shield, but it will also instrument the back shell okay. because the back shell is huge. And we even margin higher there because we mm-hmm. really don't understand the separated flow field and how wow. much heating we're going to see. Right. And so if we can get that instrumentation and that'll feed into the next mission. Mm-hmm. As we get more and more data about our missions, mm-hmm. it will feed forward Absolutely. to the next right. and help us adjust those margins right. and not over-design mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. I really do think that over-design mm-hmm. might be what you know kills a mission. Oh, well, well, we can't do that because the TPS will be too heavy, or right. you know, or we can't make it thick enough because mm-hmm. of the requirements that we're calculating with all these huge margins. Wow, what so, a fun what a fun job to be actually designing the safety aspect of getting a spacecraft to and from you know a mission. Yeah. You know, literally, you're you're the gatekeeper, if you will, for how these things are getting back to Earth or at least going oh, to other going places. To, yeah, going to um, a planet. People and ask it works. me. Right, right. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, it works. Right. I, it's embarrassing <laughs> in that people ask me, how's Curiosity doing? Oh, right? gosh. And it's yeah. like, I don't know. Eh, You're yeah. just worried about it getting there. <laughs> well, right, I could have been delivering you know, a load of concrete. <laughs> I, for me, my job was done mm-hmm. when the whatever we were sending landed. Mm-hmm. Right now, all the science and everything, which that was the purpose. <laughs> Nobody cares about the heat shield; it's garbage now on on Mars, right? right. But without it, we couldn't have landed the mm-hmm. the rover. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my husband looks and sees what Curiosity <laughs> is doing way more than I right. do, because I did my job because we got yeah, it there, got you it know. There. And then somebody else has to worry about you know mm-hmm. going and doing the science on the on the right. planet but um <laughs> that's pretty fascinating though right but it's 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 only a few minutes you know I mean, you're For probably Mars, nervous. It was seven minutes you know right you're yeah. you're like scared it's you know to death i'm sure watching this re-enter or at least seeing the trajectory right as as we were getting the information back during the entry for msl for mm-hmm. curiosity we were listening to information that was 14 minutes old. Oh my gosh, that was <laughs> so, so remember there's seven minutes of right. entry and we were getting the, the pings 14 minutes later. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was long landed before we even knew it really started, wow. right? Wow. So um, it was a little harrowing and it was surprisingly <laughs> right on the mark. Every oh, wow. ping that we oh, got wow. was exactly when we expected it. That's wonderful. And it, it was... Um, 
you know, it was one of those moments where mm-hmm. our, we were down near Hollywood mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because we were at JPL watching all this, are we sure? You know, all the the um, theorists who say right. that we didn't really go to the moon. And yeah, we they're right. all down there, too, Exactly. I'm sure. So um, it was just so perfect mm-hmm. as we were hearing the pings, you know, that, okay, it's done this. Okay, mm-hmm. heat shield separation, Woo-hoo, you know, parachute deploy and all of that. It mm-hmm. really was happening right on schedule. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so it was very exciting. Awesome. Well, I'm sure Mars Insight's going to be just as thrilling. The whole world's going to be watching this, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and that one just, it'll just sit there. It's a lander. <laughs> but still, <laughs> the fact roll, that it can make but it. But it's doing a lot of science. It's doing seismic <laughs> right. measurements. It's drilling down and doing mm-hmm. seismic measurements and everything else. And so, yeah, that one will launch in May mm-hmm. and land around Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Another one of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think right the Thanksgiving weekend or mm-hmm. the, you know, right after right after Thanksgiving it it will land. You can be thankful it made it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. fantastic. Well, I think the only other thing I would ask is uh, you know, how does it feel to be the uh, you know, you you actually have to review everything, every spacecraft that we have as far as heat shielding, right? Is it Ames or your team here that has to at least have some thumbprint on? Right. We've been involved with as either oversight or, um, you know, validation, verification Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or direct design, you know, for some missions for each of the spacecraft that have gone, you know, required TPS. We're the TPS Center of Excellence. And so we've been involved with that Mm -hmm. um, throughout the years, you know, obviously since before I started here Mm -hmm. and through the missions that I've been involved in. Thank you so much, Robin, for joining us and telling us all about thermal protection materials and aircraft, spacecraft coming in and out of the atmospheres. I think it's phenomenal that you get to work on that. So um, uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, thank you for having me. I absolutely. had a good time. Yeah. So we'll hopefully we'll get to talk maybe after Mars Insight. There you <laughs> that go. would be fun yeah. to hear what you thought and, and of course, get ready for Mars 2020. For Mars 2020. Yep. Absolutely. That's the next one. All righty. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. You've been listening to the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. If you have any questions, on Twitter, we're at NASA Ames, and we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Remember, we are a NASA podcast, but we aren't the only NASA podcast. So don't forget to check out our friends at Houston We Have a Podcast, and there's also Gravity Assist and This Week at NASA. And if you're a music fan, don't forget to check out Third Rock Radio. The best way to capture all of the content is to subscribe to our Omnibus RSS feed called NASA Cast or visit the NASA app on iOS, Android, or anywhere you find your apps.